Hello, and welcome to episode 30 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me today, I am so honored to have them, are the duo behind the wonderful podcast, Netflix and Swill, Caleb and Dan. How are you guys doing tonight? Great. How are you? I am good. Um, it was really windy today in Boston, so I stayed inside, tried to catch up on a last-minute couple of Netflix films, and I'm a little disappointed with my picks um, for what I chose to catch up on, but we can talk about that in a second. I um, I just want to point out real quick, Dan doesn't speak for me. Hi, it's it's your boy, Caleb. <laughs> I'm, I'm not great. I've had a migraine for like two days, and I'm dying. Oh, man, I'm sorry. We will, we will try not to be, you know, grading the, the best that we can be. So I'm sorry in advance if my picks just make your migraine worse. <laughs> so if you pick uh, Cloverfield Paradox, I'm just going to have a stroke real quick and I won't be on for the rest of this. <laughs> I, I think that movie gave me a stroke. So you are. <laughs> oh, my God. I consistently just think about that movie when I think about some of the worst movies I've ever seen. So. Um, so if that conversation was any indication, this is another decade marathon episode looking at the best films of the 2010s. And fittingly, today we will be running through our top five Netflix original films of the last decade. So in case this is your first episode in the format, I'll explain how it's going to go. Caleb, Dan, and I will take turns counting down our top five films starting at number five. And in the likely case of overlapping entries, we'll discuss the film the first time it appears on either of our lists. And I'll say here that these are all personally subjective films, and I definitely haven't seen every single Netflix film in the last decade. Guys, have you done that by any chance? Uh, I'd be the closest oh God, no. to to that, <laughs> uh, but no, like not even close. Like there's just too much to watch all the time. Are there any ones that you think you're missing that might, you know, influence your list at some point, or do you think you've got all the like big ones down? No, I think I got most of them. And if I'm missing something, it'll surprise me. I don't know. I've I've heard that like the new movie Klaus about Santa Claus is really good. Like I'm waiting for our Christmas time episode, which we haven't recorded yet, to talk about that. The, this is like the the peak behind the veil because like this will be out after we do our Christmas episode, but we haven't recorded our Christmas episode yet. So podcasting's weird. Yeah. There's actually quite a few ones that I just didn't get around to seeing. Um, not saying that they would be on my list, but I've heard great things about High Flying Bird, which I haven't seen. Um, 22 July is also another one. Mm. And then as far as documentaries, 13th and American Factory, I've heard are both excellent. Um, I did just quickly check out Six Underground because I heard some decent things about that. So I watched that literally like two hours ago. And Oh, no. That was a mistake. I should I should have watched High Flying Bird. That is, that is <laughs> correct. correct. <laughs> yeah. So picked a bad one. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, I think I just got caught up in the Ryan Reynolds of it all and forgot about the Michael Bay of it all. Well, yeah, it was it was it's all shiny and new. We've all been bamboozled. <laughs> and then, of course, the two popes, which has a lot of Oscar buzz, is not out at the time of this recording. So I don't think that's going to be on my best list either. But, you know, just so everyone's aware. Um, all right, so spoilers. Spoilers are fair game for any and all entries on the list. If there is a massive spoiler coming, we will do our best to give you fair warning. I'll also provide timestamps in the show notes for each film in the event that you want to skip that section to avoid spoilers. And as always with these Decade Marathon episodes, we will be skipping the usual point two section to give us more time to talk about these films. So I think Netflix original films are 
an interesting topic for a top five of the 2010s decade list because Netflix original films didn't actually exist until 2015. Right. But since then, it feels like every single week, especially for these last couple months, there's just been this massive new high profile film being released on the platform. So can you guys just start by sharing a little bit about when you started watching Netflix content in the quantities that you do now and then how you decide which properties are (laughs) worth checking out? Uh, it all started because I'm an idiot. Yes. <laughs> um, so our our friend Nick uh, does the Epic Film Guys podcast, and like he got really into doing that, and you know was was doing very well with it, and was very proud of his accomplishments, and I was like, how can I knock him down a peg? So I decided I wanted to do my own podcast and make it like the shitty dollar store knockoff of his. <laughs> Um, and thus Netflix and Swill was born because they watch movies in theaters and drink craft beer and, uh, we watch Netflix originals and drink bullshit alcohol. Yes. So that's, that's that. That's just kind of, it, it was all just me trying to take the piss out of our friend. And then it kind of turned into this, uh, behemoth that I have lost all control over. So that's you, Caleb. You're, you're to blame. Yeah, I I did this to okay. us. <laughs> I want to I want to be clear. Caleb ceded control to me because because I realized Dan is much smarter. <laughs> sure, that's the reason. I don't the, like kind of the way we create and produce the show has gone through many iterations. But like I think we figured out that I work best as sort of the the creative slash like charismatic host part of the show and Dan handles the nuts and bolts technical stuff because mm-hmm. like he's just has a better head for that and like I don't I don't know how to edit at all. I've I've tried to edit a few times and uh find it confusing and infuriating and Dan's very good at it. Yeah, it took quite a while for me to figure out just how to do anything. <laughs> oh yeah. But editing can be fun. So like Caleb said, like, he's kind of given me control over, like, what we watch, but, like, it's also based off of, like, we, we watch trailers every week, so we're, like, I, I always take into account, like, okay, what are the things that we said, okay, this looks interesting, I want to watch this, and then there's sometimes where it's, like, this is the big thing out right now, we're going to watch it, uh, we're not going to like it, uh, yeah, Adam Sandler movies come to mind, typically, when, when, that, when that comes to mind. A lot of times, if two or three things that we want to watch come out within the same week like we can kind of fit those in and like the in-between weeks but sometimes we run out of stuff that we want to watch and we just have to watch in the shadow of the moon the movie's okay i don't even know what that is it's it's like it's i don't know i thought it was a vampire movie from the trailer but it's not it's it's like a high concept sci-fi movie all right. Well, on that note, then, what's your overall impression of Netflix original films and their quality specifically? I'll be pretty candid, and I think that the average Netflix film is pretty bad. And it wasn't until a year or two ago, as you'll probably see from what's on my list, that I really felt like I even liked any Netflix films. So what's your general impression on Netflix films? It's fine. <laughs> That's, Yeah. I think the way people look at Netflix movies is they just go, oh, Netflix puts out a lot of garbage. So, like, they are they just make garbage. But then you'll get, like, the, the random odd movie that's, like, decent to good. And, like, the thing is, like, they're just, like, flooding their own marketplace with content. Like, if you go through, like, 
Look at Sony right now. Sony right now uh, makes one good movie every like year, and then just have a bunch of garbage. So it's kind of like that's kind of like the Netflix model, which is like have a few good movies, have a bunch of rewatchable garbage that people will talk about. I will say Netflix seems to be more adaptable. Like they they have like the big movies that like some Netflix original movies are a lot better than what you can find in theaters these days. Yeah. Because movie theaters are also garbage, but <laughs> I don't know. They they also, I guess, have the creative freedom to make like little quirky, weird projects. Like there was a movie that came out. It's uh, like a British comedy called Mindhorn, uh, and it's fucking great. And it's not a movie that would ever exist anywhere else except maybe as like a trauma release or something. Right. But mm-hmm. it's like it's about this guy who's he. uh was like a six million dollar man type show like he's just an actor who was on the show that was popular for a while and now he's just washed up and like gets pulled into trying to solve a real world crime with somebody who like kidnaps him who is convinced that he is that character say so like glue him into like a muscle bodysuit and stuff it's fucking weird but it's amazing and it's not something that could ever exist outside of netflix yeah, I think that is the the good part about the Netflix original films is that since there's so many of them, odds are if you have a ridiculously specific taste, you're likely to find something that is also ridiculously specific to that taste. Yeah, ridiculously six specific. Are you trying to say something about Six Underground? No, the Ridiculous Six, right? The uh, Adam oh, Sandler. No, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> I d- I haven't seen that one either. So I guess if that one's fantastic. All right. <laughs> so did you guys then find this list hard to make or oh, no. were you struggling to put in? Fi- okay. Yeah, I have, I think, 11 honorable mentions, but as oh, far as what my top five are, it was pretty clear cut. Okay, sweet. Well, then, Caleb, why don't you start us with your number five film from the last decade or I guess the last five years? <laughs> my number five is 2018's Outlaw King. Hmm. survival of the Scottish is at stake. There can be no peace. The people are desperate for justice. There are some of us who believe we can take our country back. If we can unify and rise up behind one leader. Perhaps you. family. I cannot do this without you. Power is making decisions. Whatever course you are charting, I choose you, my husband. Robert the Bruce to be declared an outlaw. I serve Robert Bruce. Join us to free Is it true? You're the King of Scots. Go tell all your friends we're going to win our country back. Uh, this is... The true story of Robert the Bruce, I guess a a dramatized version of it, directed by David McKenzie and starring Chris Pine and Chris Pine's penis. Yep. So you're a huge fan of Chris Pine's penis? Yes, we both yeah, are. It's uh, it's great. I uh, applause. I have to take your word for it. I have not seen Chris Pine's penis, and I have not seen Outlaw King. Uh, 
they they really just they really just want for it and i appreciate that because if women have to show their tits in movies then dude should have to hang dong exactly <laughs> this is something we we talk about all the time so yeah it's only fair yeah this is an honorable mention for me no it's actually it's actually a great fucking movie i think i gave it five stars which oh wow um i don't think i don't know if dan's ever given a movie five stars nope. i'm pretty liberal with it mm-hmm. yeah this is uh this is badass and it it's a really good companion piece to braveheart actually in a weird way like right at the beginning of the movie they talk about how uh william wallace just got killed and uh robert the bruce is gonna go fucking oh am i allowed to say swears on this show yeah okay you're fine <laughs> i've only been doing it for 20 minutes now <laughs> i forgot to ask and i don't i don't know if i had slipped any out before but um but no if if you kind of look at it that way like it i don't know it has a, a similar feel not saying that this is on the level with braveheart but it's very good did you see it before they made all the cuts like have you were, were you able to get like in one of the before it was out on Netflix, like go to a theater and see it? Because didn't they make a ton of cuts to kind of shorten it up? Wasn't it much longer at the start? Uh, no, Netflix doesn't like us at all. So we don't get any opportunities to see anything before they hit Netflix. Like, uh, and our theater markets aren't exactly the best in order to see Netflix originals. And we don't go to film festivals. So, yeah, we we get whatever Netflix shows off on their platform. Awesome. And so, Dan, you have seen... Uh, Outlaw King? Oh yeah, it's an honorable mention for me. I will say the end feels unsatisfying like because it just ends as opposed to having like a definitive conclusion to its story but outside of that I think it is excellent from a production design value, uh, from an acting perspective, cinematography perspective, like all those like are great. The narrative I don't think is jumbled but I just don't think it like has that final umph to get you there but uh, yeah it's it's a great movie to me awesome so then what is your number five film all right my number five is a documentary it is about the russian doping scandal that is currently ongoing and in fact russia has been uh knocked out of more uh i knew this would be on your more events yes uh it's icarus icarus is my number three oh man there you go if you guys haven't seen icarus like i didn't think a documentary could ever make a top five or 10 or 20 list for me ever. And then this came out and I was just kind of blown away with how it changed its purview from being like, all right, let's take this experiment where I'm not going to do steroids uh, during this event. And then I'm going to take steroids and then I'm going to do as best as I can. And then the next year I'm going to do the event again, but I'm going to be on steroids and how that kind of morphed into really deterrent, like discovering like how Russia was going about and doping their athletes in order to make them like the best of the best. Yeah. I mean this, I think the story is just absolutely insane because yeah, like you said, so it's uh, directed by Brian Fogle. Mm. Like you said, this dude was just like, which is actually a pretty crazy idea for a documentary in the first place to right. just dope yourself um, and record that and then see what happens. But yeah, then he just gets involved with this guy, Grigory Rodchenkov. How does he get involved with him? He's like, he gets put up by a friend who's like, yeah, this guy knows a lot about doping because he kind of heads the anti-doping laboratory. Yeah, it was something where uh, he was talking with a USDA person 
And he was like, look, in good conscience, I can't let you dope yourself. So I'm going to refer you to somebody that I know and they'll let you they'll help you do it. And that's how he got in contact with Grigory. Yeah. And so then this guy just ends up confiding in him with all this Russian doping scandal stuff, which I'm sure everybody knows that basically, you know, the whole anti-doping lab is absolute bullshit. Mm -hmm. They fake all the samples and everything like that. My favorite part about this. Well, I have two favorite parts about this documentary. The first is that I think it does actually a really good job at making you understand what happened and how it happened. Right. They they do a very good job at showing the um like the setup of the lab and kind of walking you through, almost hand holding you through how one would fake a drug test. And I think that that's really helpful to kind of get a get your head around that. Mm. But the thing that I really love is that it really digs into the mentality of the Russian athletes and why they doped and how the way that they thought about doping is completely different from the way that Western civilizations think about it. And I think that's always a really interesting thing for a documentary to do is remind you that something that is really obvious to you. I mean, I I don't think anybody you know, in the States, if you ask them, like, is doping okay? I don't think anybody would really say, yeah, you know, whatever. I don't care as long as you don't get caught. Right. Mm. Um, but these, the, the Russian mentality is like, you know, it's just what you do, you know, and you're performing for your country. And if you don't perform well, then your country is going to be pissed and you could be in trouble. Your family could be in trouble. So like, why are you not going to dope? And I really like when a documentary is able to kind of make you see that perspective in a new light. Yeah, totally agree. The anabolics got me feeling bionic. Man, if if that was a movie, if the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience was a movie, that <laughs> that would probably be number one. What is this? <laughs> it's called the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience by Lonely Island, and uh, it's it, it's about Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. Yeah, it is, and uh, it's it's a rap concept album about the Oakland Athletics in the late eighties, early nineties. Oh, I've heard about this. Isn't is it like it's like a almost like a really long music video, right? Yeah, they they call it a visual poem. Okay, <laughs> and is this is on Netflix? If I remember correctly, yes. Uh, it's thirty minutes. I've watched it seven times. Wow, wow. <laughs> okay, similarly in Spirit to Icarus, I really love that. This is not Netflix, so I guess we're going off track here. But the HBO. Um, sports mockumentary uh what is it called it's the one about the um tour de france tour de pharmacy have you seen that no oh yeah you should you should definitely watch it it's basically icarus but like every basically everybody in the entire tour de france of like 1975 or something is doping so they all get disqualified except for four people and then it's just the story of these four people and, uh, you know, Andy Samberg plays one of them and it's hilarious. And I think it, it, it's actually a pretty good companion piece with Icarus given the similarities, but so fun. John Cena plays one of the cyclists. Hmm. So he's clearly he's one of the ones that wasn't doping. <laughs> it's like they, he didn't get caught or something. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so funny. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, definitely check that out. Tour de Pharmacy. But anyways, also, um, don't mean to take your thunder, Brian. Definitely check out Icarus. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sorry. I called you Brian because I was looking at the director's name. That's my brother's name. I was wondering how you knew that. <laughs> my bad. Yeah. So, Dan, do you have anything else you want to say about Icarus? No, no. You, you pretty much wrapped up everything I didn't say. 
Awesome. Yeah. So Icarus is Dan's number five and it is my number three. So uh, my number five is a film. I don't know how great I feel about this film being on here. I think there's a lot of better films on the list than this that I could have included. But this one I routinely like. And I think I would just want to make this like a favorites list more so than an objective best films list. So the film I have on here for number five is The Fundamentals of Caring. Oh, that's my number four. Oh, great. That's Dan, number four? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so this is the earliest film on my list, 2016. I would say this is from Netflix's, like, you know, if you were taking the MCU approach, their phase one. Yeah. This was one of the first great Netflix films. Like, yeah, this was one of the ones that kind of proved they could do it. So this is the film with Paul Rudd and Craig Roberts. Craig Roberts plays a kid who I, sh- I should have looked up the the disorder that he has, but uh, I want to say it's something like cerebral palsy. I think he has ALS. ALS. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. So he's wheelchair bound and he can't move his legs and he has very weak control of his arms. And so Paul Rudd plays his caretaker. And it's one of those films that is a very charming and sweet sentimental story wrapped with this really wry and sarcastic humor. And I think the film just really works because of the relationship between the two characters. And, you know, got Paul Rudd in it. It, Mm -hmm. He's always charming. He's always endearing. He brings his I'm just a guy who barely has my life together thing here. And I think it works really well. Um, Dan, so this is your number four. What what do you like so much about this? I like the chemistry between Paul Rudd and um, whoever the hell the kid is. Craig Robertson, I think you said his name is. uh, So like. I don't know, they're back and forth. Like, it's super childish to a degree, uh, especially, like, what they talk about. But then, like, I don't know, there's just so much heart behind it. Like, even though, you know, there's sort of, like, this layer of disdain for each other with it. You know, there's there's also, like, they feel for each other, especially that that ending shot, which is probably the worst shot of the movie where uh, uh, they, they have him standing up on the board and they have him peeing into the world's largest pit. And uh, <laughs> they do this sweeping shot where you can clearly tell it is green screened. Uh, so I, I don't know what they were thinking when they did that, but hey, whatever. Uh, but yeah, just that whole relationship, seeing that whole relationship from beginning to end. And, you know, I, I, that's what made me connect to it the most was like their friendship and then like even picking up Selena Gomez along the way and figuring out that part of that relationship as well. Yeah, I like that there's also a complexity to their relationship and their characters. Craig Roberts is pretty layered and Mm -hmm. conflicted, and I think he brings a lot to the role as somebody who, you know, for obvious reasons, they've been through, he's been through a lot, and he's deflecting about, he's deflecting how much he cares about what other people think of him and how desperately he wants to be liked by other people and specifically girls like Selena Gomez uh, by just being an asshole. And I think that, you know, even if you aren't, you know, if you, you even if you don't have ALS, that's something that you can relate to mm-hmm. in a way of uh, kind of putting the shield up. And I like that Paul Rudd's character is able to just be like, cut the bullshit. I, I know what you're like in there. Um, and yeah, that chemistry is just fantastic. Yeah. And this is also a road trip movie, which means it's really rewatchable. I can watch, especially the first hour and I don't necessarily have to keep watching it after that because there's like just these kind of little episodic bits mm-hmm. that are just fun to consume. Uh, Caleb, do you have the, like, what are your thoughts on this one? I'm, I'm assuming you've seen it. 
Uh, it just fell off my list. It's an honorable mention for me, but yeah, I, I've seen it a couple times. I love it. Actually, my my favorite part is like whenever they first start their road trip, they go to see it's like the world's largest bull. Yeah. Like they just go to a bunch of like bullshit tourist trap attractions, but uh, the world's largest bull, they get there and they're like, well, the bull died. It's stuffed. And the, Paul Rudd's like, all right, well, can we see that? Well, it's upstairs. And he's like, well, you don't have a ramp, so either you have to help me carry this kid's wheelchair upstairs or we're going to, you know, sue you for not being an accessible business. So there's just like a minute long shot of them struggling to push this wheelchair up the fucking steps. Yeah. (laughs) And then it shows them with this giant bull. They look at it for like three seconds and the kid's like, all right, let's go. And then there's like another minute long shot of them trying to get the wheelchair down the stairs. Yeah, that I I put that as my favorite part. It is so funny the way it's edited too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's where you know that really highlights how great film moments a lot of times are just made in the editing room. Like yeah, the, sure. the timing of that scene is fucking perfect. The other scene that I love is when the guy's trying to flip him off. <laughs> uh, when Craig yeah. Roberts' character <laughs> is trying to flip Paul Rudd's character off, and I just the um. The the it's ty- it's a type of edgy humor that this film has where it's it's pushing the bounds just enough that it's not something as egregious as Family Guy, but it's like you're kind of laughing because of how um how a little on edge it is where you know he's he's making fun of a kid with ALS that's not exactly kosher. But I mean, I think kind of the point of the movie though is that like it would be worse at least to him to if not, he right. treated him different and like wasn't willing to throw the attitude back at him. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Like he just treats him like any other smart ass kid. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's great. That's going back to that whole relationship. Um, the fundamentals of caring was my number five and it is Dan's number four. So Caleb, what is your number four film? All right. Dan's going to yell at me for this being so low. Uh, my number four is Noah Baumbach's new movie, Marriage Story. Uh, don't don't get too upset. It's not that low. It's uh, my number three. It's also my number four. What I love about Nicole, she is a mother who plays, really plays. What I love about Charlie, he loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, like waking up at night. She knows when to push me and when to leave me alone. He never lets other people keep him from what he wants to do. Dad, you're too far. I know. It's not easy for her to close a cabinet. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. He's very competitive. Charlie, what's happening? And Cassie, you then hand him the envelope. I just get nervous. Can you unserve? What do you mean? Like, take it back? Charlie and I are getting a divorce, Mom. You can't be friends with him anymore. Dream on. Charlie Bird. (laughs) Mom? Mom? What? So, great. Great synergy here. Uh, I love Adam Driver. I want him in all of the movies forever. (laughs) Yeah. Even if they have to be Star Wars. <laughs> I think he's done after this, so we're, we're we're safe. Yeah, I mean, he's just had a powerful season this season, like that and The Report. Did you guys see The Report? No, it's on my queue and on Amazon, so. Yeah, so like, you're not exclusively Netflix, you're allowed to see the competition? Uh, I mean, I don't care what he does outside of his free time, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we we have uh we have an understanding, kind of a, a whole pass situation. Ah, got it. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So tell me about Marriage Story, uh, Caleb. All right. So this is uh, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, and they're getting divorced slash separated and uh, trying to find out how to have an amicable relationship and navigate this horrible shit show that their divorce becomes. It's a really interesting study on relationships. Like these are two people that clearly care about each other and need each other, but you know, that just, they have irreconcilable differences and they can't uh, make it work as a couple. So uh, it's really good. I think that (laughs) a lot of people that I've known that whose uh, relationships have kind of spectacularly fallen apart uh, should see this movie and learn some things from it. Mm-hmm. So do you think this is like a cautionary tale or what kind of, what kind of story in, in terms of like learning lessons from it? I don't know. Like, I think like it gets, it gets pretty rough and pretty like gritty in its portrayal of like how they're treating each other. But like, ultimately I think it's kind of uplifting. Like they still, are like cognizant of the reasons why they got together and why they care about each other in the first place. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They just kind of figure out that it's not going to work and they don't go through like trying to force it to work and end up really hating each other, you know? Yeah. I'm uh, so, yeah, like I said, this is my number four. I am very conflicted about this film. It, you know, I just watched it yesterday, so it's still really raw, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of thoughts on it, <laughs> and I like—I think I could fill a whole episode just on talking about this, so I'll try and keep it pretty short. Um, you know, most of my thoughts are positive. I think that this is fantastically written and fantastically acted. You know, I also love Adam Driver. I think he's amazing. This story is very clearly a personal story for Noah Baumbach. Yeah. And because of that, I find it to be very specific in some of the emotional aspects and the way that the divorce kind of ends up and who does what in the divorce. Uh, And I guess I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, So I'm going to spoil parts of Marriage Story here. So if you don't want to hear anything about it, I think we would all recommend go see it um, and going cold. But with that being said, I well, let me ask you, do you guys think that Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver were equally to blame in the marriage? Yes. No. Interesting. So we have one no and one yes. Yeah, they're 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 both they both did uh, incorrect things at at, at different times. To blame for the marriage falling apart. Yes. Um, To blame for the shitty things that happen within the context of the film. No. Okay. That I'll agree to. hmm. Interesting, because I found it very, um, very clear to me. It was very clear that Adam Driver was the one to blame in terms of not not like what happens in the film, but it seems like he's the one that messed up in the marriage. And I think he's, you know, he's a fantastic father in the film. That's very clear. But it seems like he made quite a few mistakes and he was the one that was pushing on Scarlett Johansson and being kind of controlling in that sense. And so I found it a little frustrating that in my mind the uh the reason for the divorce was so one-sided whereas i find that um you know candidly i'm a child of divorce and in my parents divorce you know i only know what they told me of course but 
it seemed like it was much less ever like somebody's fault specifically and just um people that weren't meant for each other in a way and i find that to be a very interesting aspect of divorce that i don't think that this film touches on man i wish i only knew what my parents had told me about their divorce i was right <laughs> there in the middle of it and it sucked yeah so i how if you don't mind me asking how old were you i'm just curious uh like 15 16 okay yeah so i was 8 so i was like just at that perfect age where i didn't know enough to know how you know difficult it was but then when you grow up you reflect on it and you yeah you know it it you realize that it's much more damaging than you think and i think that that's one of the genius things about this movie cuz the kid's 8 during it and he's old enough to know a bit about what's happening but he's not old enough to just you know tell the parents what he wants yeah i mean i i thought the parts with the kid and i think that kid is a fantastic actor for what he's asked to do with this mm-hmm. um you know i thought those were the best parts of the film for me was seeing the impact of the divorce outside of just the end of a marriage and more specifically like how that impacts the family as a whole and i wish there was more of that um but yeah, I think I think what I'm what I like I think my main complaints with the film are just I was looking for it to be more specific to my own experience, which is not really a fair thing for me to ask as an audience member, you know, I should be or as a reviewer or critic or whatever you call podcasting nowadays. But, you know, I think for what this film is, I think it is fantastic and that's why it's still on my list at number 4. Yeah, that's fair. I also think that this film is actually pretty funny, <laughs> which yeah. is uh surprising. Oh, and then, of course, that that scene, before I get to the funniness, that scene, I don't care how much you are familiar with divorce or anything like that. That scene between Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver um, at Adam Driver's apartment is just gut-wrenching. Mm. Some of the best acting I've seen. So do you guys think that Adam Driver will get the Academy Award for this? Uh, maybe, but I also don't care. Like The awards, <laughs> the awards don't matter. Awards are stupid. Um, that said, please listen to the Swillies on January 7th. <laughs> the fourth annual Swillies. So, like, not your awards. Your no, awards, our awards, stupid, our just... awards are pure. Well, here the thing is, like, we're, we're going to talk about on this week's episode that will have been recorded uh, in the past for everyone listening. But we're going to talk about basically how people buy award nominations and uh, award wins. So, like, why why do I care about the big industry awards if they're just being bought in the first place? Can I buy your awards? Uh, maybe. Depends. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'll DM you about it. I'll try and like try and sway it so that Cloverfield Paradox wins everything. No, worse than it's the worst <laughs> of the decade award. Got it. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. No. But God, the other part of this film that I think is great is there's some really excellent side characters, and I wish I knew the woman's name, but the social worker that visits Adam Driver during you know when he's being checked to see if he's a fit parent. Yeah. That woman might be one of the most painfully dull characters I have ever seen on screen. Like you just feel how like emotionless she is. It just exudes from the screen, like a lack of emotion exudes from the screen when she's on, which in a way is a more impressive acting feat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's amazing is that like, that's only like her third or fourth role. Like I, I've actually looked at her and been like, I I feel like I've seen her in something and that I I really, it it was like another Netflix movie and she had like a bit role in that, but otherwise like, no, you, she's rather new to this game. Yeah. Well, she will forever be cast as the woman that just, 
She's just, it's so awkward and painful watching Adam Driver try to interact with her and try. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, I was talking to a friend about this um, yesterday. I think it's, it's meant to be so awkward and painful because it's just supposed to represent how weird it is to have somebody observe you be a parent, mm-hmm. you know, like it's not innately something that you can just observe over an evening like that is awkward and painful so i i like the purpose of the character but i wanted to shout her out because i've never just so instantly wanted to see a character leave and i think that that is an absolute testament to the actress <laughs> you know she, she was great you know uh th- that scene was so painful but like it also reminded me of like tinder dates almost not even tinder dates oh, but like yeah. interacting on tinder where it's you get the, that one answer like that one word answer person you're just like so cool, I'm doing all of the work here. Great. Yeah. Man, I I do not miss being single. I signed up for Snapchat and Twitter and Tinder and all that shit because I was told that there was going to be casual sex and uh, titty pics, and it just ended up being horribly awkward for everybody involved. <laughs> um. All right, so... Number four for me, or yeah, number four for me and Caleb was Marriage Story. And Dan, that is your number three. Correct. All right. And so then, Dan, what was your number four? My number four was The Fundamentals of Caring. Right, right. Okay. And then, sorry, we're getting all turned around here because then my number three is Icarus and my number four is Marriage Story. So I think we're actually back to Caleb's number three. Yeah. So Caleb, what is your number three? All right. Uh, my number three is 2017's Gerald's Game. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. I've heard good things about this. Have not seen it. Okay. Um, this is directed by Mike Flanagan based on the novel by the same name, uh, by Stephen King. And it's about a couple who tries to spice up their life, their, their love life by, um, getting freaky in their remote lake house. And, uh, the titular Gerald uh, ties his wife Jesse up to the bed with some handcuffs, and before they can get down, uh, he has a massive heart attack and fucking dies, <laughs> uh, leaving her stranded there, handcuffed to the bed, unable to move. No pun intended. Fucking dies. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just gonna say like I think that this is the best Stephen King adaptation probably. Wow. I didn't think that there was any way that a hundred minute movie could be made of just a woman with no other characters, just like being tied to a bed and having to figure that out. Mm. But the movie is incredibly dramatic and tense. Um, I really like it. I really want to watch it again, but I've only seen it like the first time when we reviewed it because like, I'm kind of scared to watch it again. Like it gets really real for a while a lot of stephen king stuff gets pretty trippy is this one of those films that gets trippy yeah and that's actually something because um my wife my my wife uh i (laughs) bought her the box set of all the dark tower books Mm -hmm. and she was talking to me about those because she just finished reading the last one and uh i've kind of become obsessed with this idea of like the connected like Stephen King universe because all of his books kind of take place within this loose continuity and like his own multiverse. But like during Gerald's game, 
there's an eclipse that happens that kind of influences like some of the background events uh like in her life but that eclipse like that same event happens in like three other Stephen King books cuz they all take place kind of in the same geographical area so like while her backstory stuff is happening in Gerald's game i forget the other book that uh she was telling me about that like the same eclipse happens and like some weird shit happens in like the next town over so hmm. um yeah i don't know i i've read three stephen king books i read salem's lot really liked it uh read the stand it fucking took forever but it's really good <laughs> And then I read Dreamcatcher because I actually enjoyed the movie when it came out and mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about movies yet. But then the ending of Dreamcatcher, the novel version made me so fucking mad that I never read any of his books since that. <laughs> so um, I need to go back to that, I guess. So do you think you would read Gerald's Game? Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if she has that one. She has a ton of Stephen King books. She's a, a huge fan, but I don't know if she has that one. I might have to track it down and check it out. Yeah. So Dan, have you seen Gerald's Game? Oh yeah, we ordered you this on the show. Yeah, uh, it's good. I, I I haven't revisited it since uh, we first watched it, but yeah, I remember it being I th- good. I think he gave it like a three, three and a half, and I gave it a five. <laughs> <laughs> Do you just whore out fives, or what's this? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> There are some fives where it's like he says five and I go, wait, what? Because I'm just like beyond shot. Like there yeah. are certain ones where it's like, OK, yeah, I, I understand where he's going to gonna come from. Where it's like, OK, yeah, I get this, uh, this sort of stuff. I don't know. My uh, Dan, Dan's rating system is a lot more concrete than mine. Correct. Like mine, I just kind of shoot from the hip and it's based on how I feel in the moment. No, I like that. Yeah. And like I kind of a lot of times if I revisit something later on or, you know, spend some time thinking about it in the days following our review, like my opinions on it changed pretty drastically. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like, I think more people should be comfortable giving fives. Cause I, I feel like for the longest time I was like putting five star films in this like impossible to reach category. And it's kind of not fair to think that a film has to be perfect for it to get a five, you know, like, I mean, think about getting like an A in a class, which is what a five is, right? It's a hundred percent or something. Like, I, I don't know. So I've I've been trying to be a little more liberal with my five givings, but I, I will definitely check that out. So number three for Caleb was Gerald's Game. Uh, Dan, your number three was Can you Marriage Story? Yep. And my number three was Icarus. So Caleb, we are back to you with your number two. Oh man, I'm I'm getting to pretty much run the show. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my number two is a new one. It is uh, Dolomite is my name. Damn. Starring Eddie Murphy. This is the biopic about Rudy Ray Moore. Hey, you know, Auntie, I was thinking about putting out a comedy record. Comedy? You've been a singer, a shake dancer. It's real hard to break in. I do whatever it takes to get in. I come up with a new character. Dolomite is my name, and fucking up motherfuckers is my game. Oh, he's back. What'd you do to your hair? You look like a pimp. It's all pretend. I just created a character. Dolomite, you a true. Pull on that. Oh, that's oh, a me. That's right. 
whatever it takes, I'm ready to do it. I got to be totally outrageous. It's filthy. You've got a product here that you can't sell or promote. All my life, people have been telling me no. Rudy, sometimes our dreams just don't come true. A man slam a door in my face, I just find another door. I want the world to know I exist. You can write. This ain't funny. And it ain't no brothers in it either. If I get up in that light with my own movie, I could be everywhere all at once. Let's bring Dolomite to the screen. The actors we hire, you're a bit doughier than them. Doughier? Yeah, and that's my number one, so. All right. Um, this is absolutely a delight. I fucking love this. I I also gave this a five or maybe a four and a half. Mm-hmm. It was very high. I expected nothing from this because uh, Eddie Murphy for a long time was just, you know, a jobber and didn't give a shit and just did like terrible movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really nice to be reminded of what he can do when he cares. Yeah, this film blew me away. Um, and not because, you know, it's some, um, you know, when when the first reviews and kind of the buzz about this came out, I kind of lumped it in with a lot of those awards film movies that can really be hit or miss for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if if the central metaphor or whatever they are trying to prove really works for me, it really works. But then there's a lot of these ones like, you know, some of the some of the films from last year um, from Netflix that like aren't really on my list. They didn't necessarily work for me. They can be really, um, I don't know, just a little dull and not super interesting. But I found Dolomite is my name to just be a delight. Like it is just such a fun film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A huge part of that is Eddie Murphy. He's just so entertaining and charming and there is a central plot to this, but I think so much of the best parts of these script or I mean of this film is just hanging out with Eddie Murphy and then the other characters. Yeah. And uh, I love Rudy Ray Moore, but like before we watched this, I didn't really know a lot about him personally. And like assuming that like the, the tone and everything and like the portrayal is accurate. Like he was just a good guy. Yeah, like he like his star began to rise and like all the people that were his friends that he cared about. He was just like, all right, come along. We're we're going all the way to the top. We're making this movie together. And like, you know, he didn't there wasn't like a moment in the movie where it's like, oh, and this is the friend that he double crossed and like left behind in the dust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, he's just almost stubbornly determined to just make the most of every single opportunity when every yeah. every time somebody says no or every time somebody says, Rudy, we can't do that or mm-hmm. this movie is bad. He finds the silver lining and he just wills it into existence. It's uh, yeah, it's it's like it's like he read the secret, like he already knows that he's a success. He just needs to put that energy out into the universe and figure out how to get there. Yeah, which is, I mean, <laughs> that is such a incredible thing to do as like an individual to like believe in yourself that much. You know, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but every time I send out an episode or I do something even at work or something that has some sort of personal stamp on it, I, I think, oh my God, am, you know, am I an idiot? Is this terrible? Uh, you know, does is everybody going to hate this? But he has just so much confidence in it's not it's not arrogance either it's just um 
the confidence in the fact that he has something to say and that people will listen. I, I, I yeah. He's it's a great character. <laughs> yeah. Dan, have you seen Dolomite Is My Name? Oh yeah. We, this is another one we reviewed this this year. Yeah, I think I think all of the ones on my list were main review topics that we did. Good. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts, Dan? Oh, it's a great movie. It's it would be on that like top twenty list at least, maybe top ten. But yeah, I didn't go that far out. Uh, so you know, I I loved it. I loved watching it, and especially like having watched Dolomite and Human Tornado and Petey Wheatstraw, like in, like somewhat before Wheatstraw. and then someone after. <laughs> like it it added additional context to like what what was actually happening on screen for for Dolomite is my name. Wow, so I haven't seen the original Dolomite movies. Do you, do you think that adds significantly to the experience being able to? Mm, not significantly. Like it it adds something for sure, but it doesn't like it, it's not like oh, this has completely changed the paradigm in which I saw this movie. It's like oh, so that's where that scene is. That's where that scene is. And some some of the scenes you see in the movie in Dolomite is my name were actually like filmed for Human Tornado. Uh, and they even reference Petey Wheatstraw about like having a devil for s- some reason. You're just Petey like, Wheatstraw. I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, like it, it, it's cool to see that kind of thing and see like what the genesis was of those ideas. But outside of that, like no. Okay. Have you guys seen the Disaster Artist? Actually, no. No, I, I, um, seen I don't the think that came into my market. Like I, I live in a really shitty market for movies, so uh, uh, I missed that one and haven't uh, haven't caught up with that since it's been out. Yeah, I think it's um I the la- I saw it on Prime, but that was also you okay. know a year ago at this point. I don't have Prime, but uh, I was waiting because I have HBO now, and I was waiting for it to come on there, and I don't think that it ever did. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Or think I it just did. missed it. But this film reminds me a lot of The Disaster Artist, and I really liked The Disaster Artist. Um, and for the same reasons I really like Dolomite is my name. It's very much like a celebration of film in a way too. You know, they have that, you know, this is for the last half of the film, it's a film about making a film mm-hmm. and it is just so fun to see that the, like the behind the scenes parts of that. So I think on top of this, just being yeah. like a, a relaxing, um, rewatchable and really just enjoyable presence film. It's also a great film on uh you know it's it's great for somebody who likes movies and likes to think about the ideas behind like what goes behind making movies and things like that yeah it's a lot of fun too cuz uh like rudy has this almost like childish naivete about how the fuck to actually go about making yeah. a movie <laughs> like he's just so determined like we are doing it but in everybody's just like but how are we doing it and he's like it doesn't matter we're just doing right. it right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, and he just hires uh, like some random college students to be the the cinematographer and the director of photography, and all. I think everybody, every actor in this film is doing a fantastic job. Definitely want to give a shout out to Wesley Snipes. I think he's hilarious in this. Oh yeah, he has so many great lines. <laughs> <laughs> As just this, you know, he's the director, and he is the only one that thinks he's above everything that's going on and it is just so funny to have him be he's he's like a, a comic character but he's almost like a straight man in the sense that he calls this out for the ridiculousness that it is and i think yeah, it's just a fantastic character and a fa- fantastic performance from wesley snipes yeah it was nice seeing him give a shit too 
So Dolomite is my name is Caleb's number two, and it is also my number one film. So definitely recommend checking this out. Um, it surprised me. I think Caleb, you said it surprised you too. I, you know, definitely recommend this film. So I've, I've tried to tell so many people to see this just because it, it seems like another one of those Netflix films, you know, that, um, seems like it might be a little bit unput together, but I think this one is just, it's so specific and intention has such a, like an understanding of what it wants to be. And it just does it. Mm -hmm. And it's just fun. Um, Dan, what is your number two film? Uh, my number two is called private life. This is, uh, by Tamara Jenkins. It stars Paul, uh, Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn. And it's about basically two people in their early to mid forties trying to have kids still, uh, whether that's through, uh, in vitro fertilization or other kind of like actual natural pregnancies, natural in, in as many quotations as possible. Uh, or through adoption and kind of like their struggle through life in in order to like, you know, kind of make their, you, you know, bring a, bring a child into this world and raise it. Uh, the, how they put their careers off uh, f- or put like their careers first in uh, skipped out on having children because they figured, oh, I can do this anytime. It's fine. Uh, you know, modern medicine, modern medicine will fix all of our problems. <laughs> so. I don't know, it's extraordinarily well acted. We even get like a, a bit of a side story with the um the other side of the family where the aunt by, played by Molly Shannon is going through menopause and like how she is how her her birthing life is basically done like she she can't have kids anymore. You know, it's basically come down to like two people wanting to have kids and then this family not being able to have kids anymore and kind of coming to grips with that too. Yeah, I'm really glad I've been doing this series because it's told me a lot of it's given me a lot of films to add to my watch list because this is another one that I heard good things about but I never met anybody you know that I personally talked to to recommend it so it's always hard to take a risk when it's just the collaborative you know internet recommending it so right yeah believe me I was I was there like I think we watched this and I was like a movie about old people wanting to have babies screw that I don't want to watch this and then like everyone was like Oh man, it's so great! It's like one of the best Netflix movies of the year, and I watched it. And I'm like, they're correct. Good job, everybody. <laughs> it's always nice when somebody recommends something and it works out. <laughs> so, um, Caleb, you—I'm assuming you've seen this as well. Uh, I actually have not seen this. I don't think. Oh wow! No, this was not a main review topic. Yeah, and for how much Dan raves about it, I really should. Yes, yes, you should. <laughs> That that final the final shot of the movie is like nightmare fuel for me after after watching like this harrowing experience and then like that final shot of the movie and you're just like it it just kind of takes a lot out of you there too. So is this film funny? Is it like a humorous film or is it pretty straight drama? Uh, it's there's a lot of comedic elements. There's uh there's a lot of people acting ridiculous, but not like in an over the top like slapsticky kind of way. Like it, it's. It feels like a bombocky kind of script where it's it's realistic as opposed to, you know, over the top and ridiculous. Okay, cool. Well, I will definitely check that out and then I'll have to report back. So um, so that was uh, Dan's number two, which was Private Life from 2018. Mm-hmm. So my number two film is Triple Frontier from Ooh. 2019. So did you guys do a, a review for this one? Oh, yeah. We did. Okay. 
So this one is directed by JC Chandor. It is kind of dad bro the movie is what I would call it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's got Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, Pedro Pascal, and somehow it has Charlie Hunnam and Garrett Hedlund in it, even though they are the same person. <laughs> you know, I just I love this movie. Uh, this was one of those ones that I had heard some good things about. And I was like, oh, you know, I like Ben Affleck. So what's, the, you know, a Ben Affleck in a bad movie nowadays is probably fine. I can pass, you know, give two hours of my life to that, even if it's not amazing. Justice League. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> all right. I retract my statement. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, man, man. You Remember me. when they tried to make Batman the quip machine in that movie? Yeah. And it didn't work at all. Yeah. yeah. He caught me with my pants on the ground there. But um, all right, let's pretend like I didn't say that and just <laughs> say that Ben Affleck is great in this film. You know, there is a sense of realism and grittiness to the action here that makes it feel very tense and raw in a way that a lot of action movies, especially nowadays, usually don't. If they use CGI in this film, which I'm sure obviously they do, it does not really feel like it. It feels like when something explodes in this film, they actually made it explode. And that just makes everything feel a lot more tense and raw. I think the film looks gorgeous. It's clearly shot on location, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, in the Triple Frontier, which is, I I don't want to butcher it, but I'm going to say like maybe the, the border of Brazil uh peru and chile something like that some somewhere in there yeah so and so this is kind of like you know ex ex military guys they uh raid a um drug cartel's house or like a drug mob lord kind of guy they raid his house and they kill him and they take all his money and then they try and figure out how to get the money back across the border to um to the states and there's a lot of really cliche action elements of this film, but I th- I just, I love all the characters in it. I think, you know, they take five beefcake dudes, but they have different enough personalities that it makes each of them feel like individuals. They act with some sort of individualism in the film, you know, not a lot, but enough. And so you really end up caring about each of them when stuff starts to hit the fan. And I just, I really think that this is just a great tense and fun movie. What do you guys think? Uh, I feel like I need to revisit this because I think that having my expectations subverted in a weird way with this movie kind of ruined the experience for me. Okay. Like, I don't I don't know what I was expecting going into it, but I was expecting something different, I guess. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know. Whenever it like the movie became what it is, like it kind of threw me off, I guess. So are you referring to how the what you may think is the main premise of the film ends up being the first act? Yeah. Um, like I thought it was going to be like a, a heist movie. Mm. And then I thought it was going to be like a chase movie. But it ended up just being like a series of fuck ups and then paying the consequences for that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Because like. Everything bad that happens to them is the result of them just like making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I, I guess I was expecting more of like a traditional action movie. So, like, I don't know. Like, a lot of times when movies uh, subvert my expectations, that's something that I'm really into and can enjoy a lot. But, like, I think with this one, for whatever reason, it just like, uh, kind of confused me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, 
what I really liked about the film, though, was that it sort of, as it transitioned, I think it did a pretty good job at establishing what they had to do at each given situation. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's almost like a study on game theory, like every choice that they make, every mistake they make and like the consequences and fallout from that, like kind of pushes them further into like having narrower choices and like, yeah, um, it, the movie's very interesting. Like I said, I have to revisit it and like try to give it more of a fair shake. I think I've, I did hear quite a bit of like, you know, mixed opinions on the film when it came out, but for whatever reason, this one just worked for me in a way that most Netflix films don't. And I think it was just how much of a film it felt like. Mm. Whereas some of the, uh, not so much the ones on the list, but a lot of the Netflix films prior to this felt like they were missing that one thing, maybe just like that script rewrite or that um, studio shine or something that makes it go from feeling less like something that somebody made and just put on the internet to like an actual film. And I thought that this very much feels like a cohesive put together classic film um, in the way that it delivers on the action and the five band of brothers kind of thing and the shot on location sets and everything like that. Um, Dan, are you similar to Caleb? Yeah, like, I I thought it was a well-acted movie for the most part. Like, even Garrett Hedlund, who I've gained a new respect for after watching Mudbound on Netflix. Uh, that's another mm. movie. Like, that's an honorable mention for me. Uh, but, yeah. like, so, I don't know. Like, the, the big turn was when they just kept, kept taking money, and the person who kept telling them to take money wasn't built towards in any way, shape, or form. So, like, from that from that turn, it just went, oh... Well, that's just weird that it's this person calling the shots and they seem to be so level headed. But now they're just like without any kind of like turn on the dime, they just become kind of unhinged with money. It was, I don't know. It was very it was a very bizarre turn. And I, the movie kind of couldn't recover from that for me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I think that was Ben Affleck's character. Yeah. Correct? The the one that kind of. Yeah, I thought that. Well, I I don't really want to spoil anything. Just I. I I'm assuming not many people have seen this because it didn't make a ton of buzz when it came out and it kind of just quietly Netflix shoved it under the rug as they do with everything that's not <laughs> like, oh, you know, 12 billion people watched Bird Box. Even nah, though it was I, think terrible. 40, I think 40 million people watched Triple Frontier. Oh, great. Okay. So some people did, but um, I, I really liked how they handled the Ben Affleck character and the ultimate consequences that he paid for those actions I thought was both surprising and a little jarring and... Um, yeah, this film just really worked for me, but I can be alone on this one for sure. So number two for me was Triple Frontier. So that gets us to our number one films from the last decade. So Caleb, what is your number one film from the last decade on Netflix? Uh, Dan, do you want to say it at the same time? Uh, what? Because I'm almost positive that we have the same number one. Uh, I'm not, but okay. Oh, uh, well, maybe I'll be surprised. Uh, Beasts of No Nation from 2015. Oh, okay, good. Shh, they are coming, everybody. Be quiet, they are coming. 
Map this victory. Look it up. Aha! Go on, be me my charge. Agu! Agu! Agu, you are going to kill this man. Good, I was very shocked. Like, I, wow. I was assuming Highwaymen, and I'm like, wait a minute, what? No. Oh, oh no, no, no. Uh, Highwaymen's an honorable mention for me. Yeah, no, you're, you're correct. This is the number one movie on Netflix. Wow. See, I, I know... I know shit about you, Dan. I, I'm just <laughs> concerned. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I I would have guessed that you guys both put like Irishman or Roma. I'm surprised oh, that oh, that's no, not on anybody's no, list. No. Oh, no. We were very middling on the Irishman. I was the only one who watched yeah. Roma, and I was very middling on that. Interesting. Yeah, I agree with both of those takes. And I, I did watch Irishman yesterday in preparation for this so that... Uh, I'm surprised you're still not watching it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry about the, the four hours out of your life that you lost. Yeah, I mean, there, there was... I mean, it's not a bad movie, but... <laughs> no. No. It's, it's definitely a long movie, so... Uh, Beasts of No Nation was almost my number five. I was debating between that and Fundamentals of Caring. Oh, that would have been, that would have been very anticlimactic. It's like, a, my number five, Beasts of No Nation. Well, there goes the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, so good. Yeah, that would have been horrible synergy if uh, I just took your whole thing. <laughs> well, I watched this with some of my friends in college at the time, and one of my friends, he just could not remember the name. So he would always say something different when we were like prepping to watch it. We were like, oh, yeah, we're going to go watch Beats, uh, Beasts of No Nation. So then after we watched it, we just started calling it Beats of No Station. And that's just what I remember for like most vividly about that film. But okay, hmm. go ahead. Tell me about Beasts of No Station. Okay. Uh geez. Uh this is directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga and stars Abraham Atta as Agu and Idris Elba as the Commandant. And this is a drama based on um Agu becoming a child soldier in an unnamed African country mm-hmm. and kind of uh uh, being pressed into service, um, his life trying to deal with that and like his life after whenever he's sort of liberated towards the end of the movie and like trying to recover from that experience. Mm. Yeah. So, oh, man, I remember this movie just being really heavy. Have you guys seen this more than once? I'm I've curious. seen this four times. Wow. I th- I think I've seen it twice. Okay. Um. It's very visceral. It's very real. And it pulls no punches. So yeah. it is not uh, a silver lining type movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's an, almost impressive that this was Netflix's first original film because right? in a lot of ways it is very ambitious. Um, they should have stopped there. Yeah? You think so? Uh, I mean, half-jokingly I say that, but <laughs> seeing as how I think it's their best movie, like... If they did one movie, yeah, yeah, I'd be fine with it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, so you guys just mentioned that Irishman is really long. I remember this film feeling very long because it is just so brutal. It's emotionally draining. Yes. For sure. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's at least, it feels, at least feels long because it's purposely trying to make it feel like you're spending an eternity watch, watching this as opposed to like stuff like The Irishman, which is an actual eternity where you're watching it. <laughs> wow really really not a fan of the irish man dan <laughs> i l- i love 45 minutes of that movie 
Like I think I think the forty five minutes from uh, plane ride to plane ride are exceptional filmmaking. But outside of that, it's like oh my oh my god, just get on with it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I love Idris Elba. It's a real shame that uh, the Dark Tower movie exists. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone makes a bad that's like, movie. That's now like and then. the the stain on his career of otherwise being a, a fantastic uh, actor. But he's also uh, like Pacific Rim, such a dumb movie, but like, he's also my favorite part of that. Like that movie's just so fun. I love Pacific Rim. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's not good, but it's so fun. This is like a deep dive into how fucking nerdy I am. But, uh, like I'm a I'm a big fan of the card game Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a a deck that I play that uses a creature called Yidris, <laughs> and uh, I always call him Yidris Elba. So whenever I play that creature, I yell, "We're canceling the apocalypse." <laughs> I can't, I can't believe I've ever had sex. <laughs> I can't either. Caleb, you're married, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I I tricked her. Yeah, there it goes. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I guess I should have never stopped playing Magic the Gathering is what I'm I'm getting yeah. from this conversation. Never stop never stopping. All right. So, number 1, we didn't talk much about it, but number 1 is your I, yeah, I, do you guys want to mention anything else? I don't want to I love the use of color, the cinematography, the score. There's two particular score beats where uh, one is as they're making this this charge up up a road, and this the music just swells. And Idris Elba, you just see him on screen flailing. I don't know what the hell this thing is called, but he's like directing directing these kids on what to do, and it, it's just this beautiful like piece of cinema. I loved it. I loved watching that, and um, also like the lack of like the showing of violence, like outside of like the guy getting macheted in the head outside of that, like you see the act of violence, but you never see the aftermath because it's not important. What's important is that these kids are shooting guns and trying to kill people and threatening to rape women. So like you, you're, you're really looking into more of their character than what their character is doing. Like you're seeing what their character is doing, but it doesn't matter what the aftermath is because like you already recognize how gone they are. Do you think there's something lost in the film or maybe lost isn't the right way to say it, but the fact that it's not based on a true story, I was almost surprised by that when afterwards I looked it up and I was like, what country is this? Uh, what is this based off of? And it's not, as far as I know, it's not based yeah, off it's of ambiguous. anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's intentionally ambiguous. Yeah, do you think that works for the film? Um, I, I don't think it helps or hinders. I I think it's like I I think we've seen a, a kind of movie like this before. Like the the movie this directly references for me at least is um, Hotel Rwanda. So like, so I think when I think of Hotel Rwanda, I think of this as like kind of the other side of that movie. Mm, okay. Well, it's a very heavy number one. Uh, that is both Caleb and Dan's number one, which is. Beats of No Station, as I call it, or as everyone else in the world calls it, Beasts of No Nation. So that was the first and best from Netflix. So before we wrap up, guys, is there any other honorable mentions that you want to quickly mention? Oh, my God. Uh, I have a bunch. Yeah, I have a bunch, too. Go ahead, Caleb. Um, Imperial Dreams. This is with uh, John Boyega. 
He's an ex-con who's trying to get his life back together and uh, take care of his son. And it's just kind of a drama about how hard it is to move on with your life after being in the prison system. Yeah, that, wow. that movie's a that movie's a gut punch. Yeah, and it's it's a beautiful acting piece for John Boyega. Like I, he's another one that like I don't want him to get caught in the Star Wars vortex because I think he's a very good actor and I want to see him do amazing things. Yeah. Um, the Highwaymen. We already mentioned that. Uh, it's about uh, Kevin Costner being an old, 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 old man uh, <laughs> who so killed old. Bonnie and Clyde. Um, it's, it's cool. It's, uh, it's, it's like an old, like cop hard boiled, except that he just like is so far past his prime that it's like almost sad. And like him and, uh, Woody Harrelson are just lamenting about their lost youth for a lot of the movie. Uh, That's good. It's good. I like it a lot. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. That's kind of just like a personal pick like i i like this a lot it's um it's like a quirky drama comedy but like uh elijah woods in it in a hilarious capacity um where like him and the the main woman in it they kind of become like minor league vigilantes Mm -hmm. so like he's busting into like drug dealers houses and like whipping ninja stars at them and then he like goes to grab it out of the wall and he has like a hard time pulling it out and he finally yanks it loose and he like holds it up. And he's like, that's how hard I threw it. <laughs> so it's it's like that kind of shit. It's it's funny. Bella to Buster Scruggs. I liked mm-hmm. a lot. That's the Coen brothers. It's uh, like six, six like short vignettes, like a anthology movie. Um, yeah, my favorite one is the first of the series, like. Oh yeah, Tim Blake Nelson's magnetic in that role. Yeah, that one's my favorite. So then the rest of them don't quite live up to that. So yeah, there were a couple that were close, but that is the best one. Yeah, yeah. Juanita is a movie starring Elfrey Woodard. Um, it's kind of about her uh, hitting a point in her life where she's just done dealing with everybody's shit, and she kind of goes off on a vacation by herself, uh, like to find herself, and ends up growing as a person. So it's just a cool like character piece. Uh, I really like Alfrey Woodard. So that's a, a, kind of a lot of my um, honorable mentions are just like movies that had an actor I like in them. Yeah, I, I think Netflix is relying on that for a lot of their projects is shit. We'll just put yeah. somebody that everyone likes and throw it on there. <laughs> <laughs> uh the King, which is a new ah, yeah. Netflix movie. It's based on uh, Shakespeare's Henry V. And features uh, the kid from Twilight doing an outrageous French accent. Wow. That's that's one I downloaded a while ago and just never got around to watching it. it it's a bit of an endeavor. I, I did like it. I do recommend it, though. Um, Fundamentals of Caring was uh, relegated to an honorable mention for me. Um, the Perfection, Dan and I both really liked that movie a lot. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Which I, I don't know if you have that on your honorable mentions. I might just let you talk I, about that. I, I'm Dan, I'm just waiting because you're okay. you're just listing off movies that I like. <laughs> Sweet. This is one I don't think you've seen this one, Dan. Um it's called The Battered Bastards of Baseball. Nope. It's a documentary uh featuring Kurt Russell 
talking about his professional baseball career before he got into acting because his dad owned a minor league baseball team. Wow. And uh, it's it's really interesting. It's it's really cool. Um, kind of on the, the same vein. I know like this is technically a short film, so it doesn't count, but Lonely Island presents the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience. <laughs> I just have to talk about that every chance I get. And the other one that I wanted to shout out is called 13th. It's a documentary about uh, the 13th Amendment and how after the slaves were freed, uh, the prison system kind of grew to fill that economic need, I guess. So like the prison industrial complex is the new slavery in modern times. And uh, it's another sort of like a gut punch uh type movie but it's it's very good also that was the one one of the ones that i wanted to check out before this podcast or that i should have was 13th because i've just heard amazing things yeah. about that yeah definitely do it's it's fantastic okay awesome dan what about you uh well the boy who harnessed the wind that was another one we watched earlier this year oh that is a good one yeah, yeah damn i wanted to see that too that's directed by chiwetel Ejiofor, correct yeah this is directorial debut or at least his feature length debut um trying to think of other movies that caleb didn't mention uh because he did such a good job of taking all the movies that i like <laughs> uh let me flip through my list really quick so i don't seem like an asshole um no, that's, I mean, Caleb pretty much like knocked out all the, the major ones I can think of. Like, I'm going to, I'll probably come back and think of like something that I didn't name and then, you know, shout it out here. But yeah, no, Caleb, Caleb pretty much knocked out a lot of my own mentions, like the, the perfection, which was uh, the perfect trailer, I say, because it, it basically only showed you the like things from the first 30 minutes of the movie. And if they showed you anything from after that, it was all a mystery as to what the hell it even meant. Like why? What? What is this yeah. shot even? Also, like I, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to give it away. Like you should go into that movie as cold as possible, because otherwise you, you're you're gonna have like you're gonna have thoughts on it, and I I don't need that. I want you to just like experience it and just let it just like wash over you. Yeah, that one. That's one that like it kind of had the opposite effect on me as Triple Frontier did. Like it if you watch the trailer. And that's all you know about the movie going in. It's not what you think it is. But, uh, like, what it turns into was so fucking buck wild and amazing <laughs> that I just loved it. <laughs> awesome. So, I just have two honorable mentions that you guys didn't mention. Um, one of them is the documentary Chasing Coral. I thought that that's that's the documentary about how we basically suck as human beings and we fucked up the great barrier reef mm -hmm. and the world is dying so you know kind of kind of a depressing documentary but it's really good and rarely do i watch a documentary and think oh i should get involved with that and i did after this i ended up not getting involved like i didn't donate but i did google how to donate so i think that's <laughs> that's good enough <laughs> halfway there that's the thought that counts. thoughts and prayers <laughs> yeah um, and then the other one is set it up, which is for what it is, which is just like a goofy comedy and Netflix is making a lot of those. I've seen a handful of them. I thought set it up was by far the funniest and yeah. the one that was most, um, inventive. So not a top five film, but it was definitely a fun one for sure. No, that was definitely an enjoyable movie for sure. Yeah. So, uh, 
why don't you guys just quickly list down your five films again, starting at number five. Caleb, can you start us off? Yeah. Uh, number five, Outlaw King. Four, Marriage Story. Three, Gerald's Game. Two, Dolomite is My Name. And number one, Beasts of No Nation. All right. And Dan? Uh, my number five is Icarus. Four, The Fundamentals of Caring. Three, Marriage Story. Two, Private Life. And one, Beasts of No Nation. And my five were at number five, The Fundamentals of Caring, four, Marriage Story, three, Icarus, two, Triple Frontier, and one, Dolomite is My Name. So we actually had quite a bit of overlap, but also a good set of films, I think, to cover a decade. Yeah. So this has been our Decade Marathon episode on the best Netflix original films from the 2010s. Caleb, Dan, thank you guys both so much for joining me today uh it really means a lot that you guys would you know take a chance on me and sit down and i really appreciated talking to you guys both about this no thanks for hey, having us you better watch saying take a chance on me because i'll start singing abba <laughs> oh uh, i i just remembered two movies uh for honorable mentions uh aka i i went through my watch it again list uh so mudbound which is the movie that uh garrett headland like co-starred in uh, that bought him a lot of goodwill with me. So if you want to watch Garrett Hedlund in like an actual good role, that's it. And Triple Frontier. Yeah, and Triple Frontier. But like, uh, <laughs> and kidding, then yeah. the Meyerowitz stories, which is like what got me onto Marriage Story in the first place. It's like uh, it had Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler actually acting uh, with a script by Noah Baumbach. So like, you know, uh, it, it was just like the perfect storm for everything. I tried to watch Mudbound like twice and by try, I mean, I downloaded it like for download later for a plane twice and I just ended up not watching it. And then after the whole award ceremony thing, I just felt like, oh, I don't need to watch this anymore, but I definitely need to go back and watch that because I've heard great things about that one as well. If I could take away the first half of that movie, uh, I would. And if the, if like the second half of the movie was just by itself, uh, that'd be that'd be a perfect movie. Like everything wow. that happens uh, in the second half of the movie is perfect, but like the build up to it doesn't exactly like like it pays off, but it, it's not exactly warranted for how much it builds. Okay, fair enough. So, is there anything that you guys want to plug? I guess just our show, really. Yeah. Oh, I guess I, I guess I, I guess I do that part. I I forget who who the hell does that part on our show. Uh, you you can <laughs> you can find us at netflixandswill.com. Uh, basically, just like the the name of the podcast without punctuation.com. Uh, you can find that's where you can find like links to our show, uh, where you can find us on other podcatchers. So like you can listen to it on the same podcast you're listening to this. And, uh, you know, uh, just check us out. We're going through a lot of Netflix. We, we know that uh, people will have a, a lot of Netflix to, to watch. And so we're, we're there to help you try to sort through and find like the good stuff as opposed to, you know, looking around for half an hour and then just giving up and watching the office for a little bit and then eventually Seinfeld. Yeah. Speaking of going back to the start of the show, like Tinder and, uh, you know, whatever other apps that I can't, I, man, I, I can't stand the, Oh yeah. You know, probably watching the office. My personality is the office. It's like our one friend's girlfriend, like everything she posts on social media is like, Oh, I'm, I'm such an introvert or, Oh, I like dogs. And yeah. I'm just like, those two traits are not a personality. <laughs> yeah. And even if they were, they would be the least novel personality in the history of the world. Yes. Everyone likes dogs. <laughs> if you don't like dogs, you're probably a psychopath. So <laughs> anyways, 
super side tangent. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I will provide the links to your guys' show in the show notes. And definitely if if you guys are, you know, if anybody listening is looking for a, a good podcast about Netflix content, I, I rely on you guys a lot for, you know, listening to or having an opinion on shows that not every other podcast does. So I think it's a, it's, it's a great um, it's a great show. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Also, if you're listening to this, uh, leave an iTunes review for this show because that's something that's really hard to get people to actually do and really matters. So, thank you for that. I, it, it is very difficult. <laughs> All right. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at MovieMarathoners.Podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next time when I continue to run through the best of the decade by looking at the top five horror films of the Ooh. 2010s with Ryan Terry. So it's going to be a fun episode. Until then, bye. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts.